Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ingrained and Balanced podcast. I'm your co-host, Lonnie. I got Marty in the wings waiting to step in here and help me out here. Today, we are very fortunate. We've got an incredible guest who's got an incredible story to share and, and some knowledge to spread, and we can't wait to talk about it. So before I get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, okay? You know, we all have our own journeys, right? So imagine you, you've already found success, right? You think you found success. You started your family, whatever it might be. You think you're successful. And then, you know, you find out, you know, you, you have an ailment, a disease, or maybe impossible, a, a terminal illness that, that's going to kind of derail you off path a little bit, right? It's about how do you let it derail you? Can you identify what's wrong and what pathway can you find to getting back on track? Our guest today, Terry Tucker, knows that struggle. Uh, he's been through it. I mean, he's, he's still fighting his way through it, and he's using his experience to help others who face obstacles on their own paths. Uh, his story is more than inspirational. You'll gain so much from listening to this episode, so I, I can't wait to bring him in, okay? Let me give you a little uh, background information on him. Terry has been an NCAA Division I college basketball player, a Citadel cadet, a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, and get this, he has a SWAT team hostage negotiator. He's also been a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and an author. And for the past 10 years, he's actually been a cancer warrior. I mean, incredible. He's actually, it's even resulted in the amputation of his foot in 2018 and in 2020, uh, his leg was amputated. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what he's had to face and, and get past in his life. So Terry's also the author of a book called Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life and the developer of the Sustainable Excellence Membership. I mean, amazing. Terry, with all due respect, I, I, I can't wait to talk to you. Everybody, this is Terry. Terry, thank you for joining us today. If you want to just go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and 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 wow, what what inspires you to kind of you motivate people? Well, Lonnie, Marty, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to talking with you. Uh, yeah, I you know I was uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. Uh, you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball at the Citadel. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. Another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going on, you know, in, in front. But our five foot eight inch mother was the boss, and you know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went. And, you know, my story is not one where, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and he beat my mother and things like that. I was incredibly fortunate to have great parents that taught us the value of family, of caring for each other, of loving each other, of supporting each other. And, and that's part of why I do what I do now. You know, can, can I make a difference in the world? Is, is today going to be a good day because I'm able to tell my story and hopefully it has a positive impact? on other people. It's been a great life despite the 10-year battle with cancer, but I've learned quite a bit through it. Absolutely amazing. Wow, wow, wow. 
as I talked a little bit a second ago on what we're, you know, what we're trying to talk about here is, is how people can identify where they're at in life and they think they have an obstacle to overcome or they, they have to get back on track. But, you know, first thing they have to do is what we always talk about is identify their starting line. What is their starting line? Right. And getting that ball rolling from there. I think before they can do that, one of the things I think you talk about is, is embracing the difficulties in life and the struggles you have, because if you can't identify those, you really have no starting line. Um, do you want to touch on that a little bit? You know, bad things are going to happen to us in life. Nobody goes through, you know, life unscathed, but you know, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the way things are right now, the status quo is comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. But the problem with that is, is the only way we are going to grow, the only way we're going to get better, the only way we're going to improve is to step outside those comfort zones and do the things that we don't like to do, do the things that make us uncomfortable. And I try to do this every day of my life, and I certainly recommend it to everybody I talk with. Do just one thing that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, we you know lose our job, somebody close to us passes away, we find out we have a terminal or a chronic illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things if you do those things every day that make you uncomfortable. And, you know, there's that, that old saying about, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. You know, suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take it? Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I, I don't have a cape and fly around with magical powers. I'm still being treated for cancer. I get down. I feel sorry for myself. You know, I, I cry and things like that. But what I've realized is the importance of the need to keep moving forward, despite how lousy you feel. I always think of like your support system, be it immediate family, be it community, whatever. How does that relate to, you know, when you, you know, face adversity? Is it something you, it was a collaborative effort from the get-go or is it something you were on your own for a while and then suddenly realized, I can't do this on my own. I need to bring other people in. Or if you were to tell somebody that's just learning about some things in their life right now, uh, how would you advise them on their support system? I, I always talk about what's gotten me certainly through these last 10, almost 11 years now with cancer is what I call my three F's and that's faith, family, and friends. I have a very strong faith life. I, I don't put that on, on anybody else. But, you know, you, you talked a minute ago about obstacles and, and facing obstacles and, th and things like that. We're great in this country, especially of, you know, starting down the road toward a goal and an obstacle gets in our way and, and we can't get over it. We can't get around it. We can't th get through it. So we quit, but we just don't quit. Now we got to blame somebody. You know, we, we've, we've got to blame our parents or our station in life or, you know, our boss or something like that. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And I remember, you know, when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? It's like, what do you mean? Who do I blame? 
said, so, well, you have to blame somebody because you got cancer. I said, no, I don't blame anybody. And then when they find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I sort of joke with them. I'm like, no, oh, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I, I don't think that at all. But I do believe that God has given me the strength to go through that. And then the next one is family. And, you know, it's just my wife and daughter and I. Uh, I do have two brothers uh, still back in Chicago, and my mother's in her late 80s is, is still here as well. But I remember when I had my leg amputated, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy. And I, I looked at him and I said, is it, is it going to save my life? And he said, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I said, well, you know, I was eight years into this fight. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go through that, if the outcome is going to be exactly the same, but I'll go home and talk to my family. And this is honestly the way it happened. It's really a funny story. So I get home and I start talking to my wife and daughter and my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that that we need to, you know, we need to talk to. Send out a memo. <laughs> exactly. You know, so we sit around the kitchen table and individually talk about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And then when we're done, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remember back when I was in the police academy and our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most, the class. And as we were learning different ways to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy because I love my wife and daughter more than I love myself. And in hindsight, it was a bridge that got me to the the uh, the clinical trial drug that I'm on now. So that's the family component of it. And then the friends component of it, incredibly important to me. But I'll tell you, you really find out who's going to be in the foxhole with you when you get some type of a terminal or a chronic illness. Because there are people that I thought that would be there for me that, that were like, you know what, Terry? Mm, you know, this isn't looking good. This scares me. I don't want to be part of this. I'm going to have to back away a little bit. And then there were people who I never thought would be in, you know, in my corner who had been there for me since day one. Yeah, I've actually experienced that. Unfortunately, I either have a close friend or a you know, relative that has been through the cancer fight, you know, and I've just personally witnessed exactly what you're saying. They, they would come to me and be like, man, I, so-and-so is not responding, not helping me out. I reached out to them. I really thought, They'd be there for me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, not for a second, I'm not sure what to say. And I'd be like, you know, well, listen, I, I, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Any research I can help you do, whatever I can do to help you out, I'm there. That's funny you mentioned that. Just recently, I, I, I experienced that. And that, that, that's, that's a tough spot. That's a tough spot. As we're talking, Marty and I always preach uh, mindset, right? This Our show is all about habits and mindset. If you're talking with somebody and they're facing some life issues or whatever the case may be. And th again, they don't know how to take that initial step. What would you say to them about mindset? Like, how do you shift from, you know, you found success, you've got the great job, you have the family, um, but you've never had to worry about your health. Now you do, you know, how do you address that and get them into a, a mindset of, of doing what's necessary to live a healthier lifestyle? The longer I go in this cancer fight, the more I realize that 
for, at least for me, I, and, and again, I'm not talking about somebody with a mental illness or something like that, but at least some type of physical illness, it starts with the mind. How you handle this absolutely positively starts with the mind. I always tell people, be incredibly careful how you talk to yourself. You know, we all talk to ourselves, whether we like to admit it or not. We all, we all have this self, sort of self-talk. But if, if you're constantly, oh man, I'm in a bad situation or, you know, I, I might die or this is terrible. All you're doing is reinforcing in your mind how bad your, your, your desire is. And I kind of go back to, I'll just give you an example from my basketball days. The same part of your brain that would light up when you were practicing, say, shooting free throws is the same part of your brain that lights up when you think about practicing free throws. So you need to be really careful how you talk to yourself because we all become what we think. And and I understand we're, we're human beings. We are going to have negative thoughts. Like I said, there are days when, you know, I get down when I feel sorry for myself and things like that. And I I think a couple things, there's two stories that really kind of I always think of when I, that pull me through those dark days. One is about a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s, who did a study with rats. And he took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the average rat would tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as the rats were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he took those exact same rats and put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, on average, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. So think about that. The first time, 15 minutes, you're just not going to fail or you're not be successful. You're going to die. Your life is going to be over. The second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. The number, number one, the importance of hope in our lives that we have to believe. Maybe not this week, maybe not next month, maybe not even next year. But at some point in time, our lives are going to get better. And then secondly, knowing that just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. I think everybody has a breaking point, but that breaking point is so much further down the road than we ever give ourselves credit for. And then the second story kind of dovetails with that. I I have a friend of mine who my wife works with, who's a former Navy SEAL, and he calls me on my off weeks of treatment just to check in on me. And sometimes we talk about what the SEALs call their 40% rule, which basically says that if you're at the end of your rope, if you're done, if you can't go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have another 60% left to give to yourself. So the mind is incredibly important because it all starts in the mind. If you can control the mind, you can control your physical body. I'm going to bring you back a little bit earlier. So something you said earlier, and then I want to come back to this. So what you said earlier was that you every day you want to do something that is either uh, hard, makes you scared, makes you embarrassed, something like that. And when you said that, my first reaction was, hell no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> the second reaction was like, oh, well, maybe I was going to bargain with myself. Like, oh, well, like, like maybe he means like going to yoga or something. Like I'd like to do like heavy weights. So like, I, I don't usually go to yoga. So maybe going to yoga might be like, like, can you give us a better idea? Because when you say something, you know, hard, that means different things to different people. And can you give us a couple of like examples of 
Uh, what is a hard, embarrassing, scary thing that you've done in the last two or three days? I hate, hate, capital H-A-T-E, going to the dentist. Can't stand it. Yesterday, I picked up the phone, called the dentist, made my six-month dental appointment. Now, you think, oh, that's not a big deal. When you hate the dentist as much as I do, yes, that is an absolutely, that's a scary thing for me to do. And like I said, these things don't have to be, you know, I, I'm going to go play chicken with a car out in the street or something like that. This, this isn't anything like that. This is, what's one thing that makes you uncomfortable? It's like, okay, you know, I really got to put my prosthetic leg on today. I'm really not up for that. I, I'm tired. I, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. You know, it's an uncomfortable thing that I don't want to do. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, what is uncomfortable for me may not be uncomfortable for you. You have to figure out what those small things are. Find one thing every day and do it. Because like I said, when those big disasters in life hit us and they hit all of us, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things when they come around. Yeah, no, I I, I, I hear you on that. And thank you for giving us uh, an example. I I feel your pain, literally, <laughs> with respect to the dentist. It's, it's it, uh, yeah. So now tomorrow I'm going to have to call my dentist. There you thank, go. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you can blame me. There you go. <laughs> what I'd like to come back to, because I'm familiar with the experiment that you were talking about uh, with respect to the rats. And it's really a, it, it's an amazing concept because you're, you're completely right. It, it's all about hope or in, in some sense, learned helplessness, right? So if you think, if you believe that you are helpless, well, then it certainly makes sense to just give up, right? And so in life, lots of people believe that they have, you know, they have learned that they are helpless. And people, when they are given hope, can do extraordinary things, right? So part of, part of what the, what they are trying to tell, tell the seals when, hey, when you think you've given up, you know, everything, you've got 60% more, you're only at 40. That's giving them hope. Oh, I can do it, right? Even though I don't, I don't see a way. I don't feel like I can do it. They're giving you, they're giving those guys hope, right? So I'm not personally, I, I am, I am not a super spiritual person. I, uh, maybe have like some beliefs in karma and things like that, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a go to church guy. So outside of, of that, where do you, what do you attribute your sense of hope, that positive self-talk, which I totally, I totally get. And I, I agree 100% with the importance of positive self-talk and the belief that over the long term, if I do the right things, good things are going to happen. Where do you get that sense from? I, I think part of it is from my upbringing. You know, I mean, I, I was raised Catholic. I'm still Catholic. I still go to, to church as often as I possibly can, sometimes every day, I, I look at my circumstances and I look at the number of times over these last 10 years that I literally should be dead. I, I had my oncologist show me about six months ago, the CAT scan from my days when I had my leg amputated and I found out I had these tumors in my lungs. And I, I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my lungs, I had these big tumors in my lungs. I was coughing up this, you know, green bloody phlegm and all that kind of stuff. And I looked at him and I was like, how was I alive? And he kind of got this smirk on his face and he sort of shook his head and he's like, I have no idea because you shouldn't have been. Which, which said to me through my faith that God's not done with me yet. You know, that, that I'm still here 
for a reason. I started, I mentioned I'm on a clinical trial drug now. I was on it with two other people. They both died last year. You know, why didn't I die? You know, why am I still here? And, you know, they're not and things like that. I have a, I just have a tremendous belief, a feeling. It's, you know, it's faith for lack of a better word. I, I can't describe it. I can't say, you know what, right there is God. But, but the way I kind of look at life now is a little bit different. You know, we all tend to, you know, when we graduate from high school or college or grad school or law school or whatever, we get out of the military. We, we then start, okay, now I've got to, I've got to start to fill myself up. I've got to get a job. I've got to get money. I've got to drive a car. I've got to do, and we fill ourselves up. What if it was just the opposite? What if instead of starting empty and we now to fill ourselves up, what if we're born full? And our job is to pour ourselves out for the betterment of ourselves, our family, our fellow man, and things like that. It's kind of a different way of looking at life because we're all kind of conditioned to, I got to get stuff. You know, when I get stuff, I fill myself up and I feel good about myself. My feeling is, as I'm probably coming to the end of my life, that I'm not filling myself up. I'm emptying myself out. I'll, I'll give you just a quick story to end this. My, and a nurse recently asked me what it was like to have my foot amputated and my leg amputated. And I, I told her, I said, it's not been easy. I'm still learning how to walk again. You know, when you're six foot eight, falling is not a good thing. And, and, and that, you know, so I'm still learning how to do that. But what I told her was, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. It goes back to the Jim Valvano speech, you know, the ESPYs. Uh, you know, but that's, that's who I am. You know, that's who Lonnie is. That's who you are, Marty. That's who, you know, John is. That's who everybody who's listening to us is. That's who we really are. And, and don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of time working on my physical body. Although if you looked at it right now, it's not good, but you know, I, I mean, but really who we are, our heart, our mind and our soul. Why don't we spend more time working on that instead of worrying, you know, Hey, is this latest haircut look good on me? Or, you know, hey, is that tie good for whatever? And that. So I think it's just a different way of looking at it. And I honestly believe for me, it's all about faith. That's amazing. I, I love that. That and listen, whether or not how you look or not, your energy is captivating. And a lot of that comes from your taking care of yourself spiritually, mindfulness. Um, you know, we could tap in a little bit about what you eat later if you'd like, but. Um, you know, just back to that mindset, you know, to touch on that, people always ask me like where and why and how I said, first, again, you got to start. I, I use that. How do you define success? What is your benchmark for success? You know, you just touched on, you know, the material things, put that out there. You know, is it, is it where you are with your career, your job, right? Or your financial, you know, uh, what does that look like? It, no, I think when you have to kind of, Reverse engineer and start with uh, redefining what success means to you. Do you like to wake up, you know, with less stress? Do you like to wake up and have energy? Because once you start there, everything else in life kind of falls into place. You know, you treat people nicer. They're going to treat you nicer. You're going to be more productive at work, um, things of that nature. So I think when you define success as just being happier, having more energy, and then creating ways to build on that foundation, everything else takes care of itself. I, I would agree. 
I will give you the best definition of success that I've ever heard in my life. And it comes from John Wooden, the basketball coach at UCLA when I was a little kid. And, you know, probably at the time, one of the most successful coaches, uh, you know, in, in, in any sport, certainly in, in college basketball and wouldn't define success this way. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. Doesn't say anything about winning. It doesn't say anything about, you know, getting money or getting stuff or anything like that. Do you have peace of mind knowing that you did the best to become the best you're capable of becoming? And if that's the case, nobody can ask anything more of you. I've done my best. I've given it my all. I've laid it out there. You know, for me as an athlete, you know, as a basketball, I've left it all on the court. And whether we won or lost on the scoreboard, that really wasn't the measure of our success. May have been, you know, yeah, we lost the game, but did you give everything you had? If you did, then you've been successful today. It's a life lesson for especially younger people today that are still, you know, they they went to college or they they, you know, got certified in something, but for some reason they're just not finding success. They they try to, you know, blame external forces when they just got to make sure they're looking within themselves to do everything they could possibly do. And if they do that, I I really think everything else will take care of itself. Absolutely. I think John Wooden would have had a a very difficult time in today's social media society where people compare themselves to everyone else all the time, because that's clearly just comparing yourself to what can you do? What are you capable of? If you believe that you have done everything to prepare, if you have given everything, then you should be very comfortable alone with your thoughts right before going to sleep. (laughs) Right. I mean, that, and that's a good day for me. I know. Hey. If I, if it takes me about 30 seconds to fall asleep because I don't really have any thoughts that I need to go through, that's a good day. I've had a really good day. It, it really is. And, I, and you know, when you were saying that, I was thinking that I just finished Steve Magnus's book called Doing Hard Things. And Magnus call, talks about that. For those of you who don't know Steve Magnus, it, he was an elite runner when he was a kid. He almost made the U.S. Olympic team, but he was the, the track and field coach at the University of Minnesota. And, and he, he writes this book and he tells a story in the book about this, this guy that did a, a study. He said he put mostly younger people into a room that had nothing in the room but a chair and a table. They were not allowed to take in their devices. Their, they, they were there alone with themselves. The only other thing in the room was a buzzer. And if you hit the buzzer, you got an electric shock. 67% of the men and 25% of the women that went through this test shocked themselves, including one man who shocked himself every five seconds. And, you know, you, you have to laugh at that. But what that says is, can you be alone with yourself? Can you be alone with your thoughts? You know, are, are there stressors and things? And, and that's another thing I, I've started to do since reading that book. I spend, you know, five to 10 minutes just being alone. I, I don't care where my mind goes. I, I'm not meditating or anything like that. I'm just being alone with me. No devices, no phones, no iPads, no nothing. I'm just sitting in a chair in my room and being alone with myself. And what that says to me is so many people can't do that. They can't be alone. They need the distraction of something else because they're just not comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, the fear and pain of being alone with their own thoughts is greater than the pain of being electric, giving yourself electric shocks. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it well, it's frightening, right? It's frightening that 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 some people have a a you know are th- that afraid of their thoughts. 
right? So that's that's a you know you, you I feel badly, and that and that's uh, that's something that you know everybody has bad thoughts. To your point, we all have bad thoughts, right? I mean, we have to fight those bad thoughts when we get them. We can't help the fact that the thought comes in our brain, but we can sure as hell fight it once it gets there. <laughs> you know, like get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. How can we compartmentalize it and deal with it in our own ways? Everybody has their own way of doing that. And those that don't do it and let it just bottle up and fester, those are usually the ones that kind of explode somehow on their loved ones, which is a shame. Well, Terry, listen, I know we're taking up a lot of your time. Um, why don't, if you could take a second to talk about your book and, and what you're hoping people to get out of it. And uh, we're going to have a, a link. And, and if you'd like to check out his website, motivationalcheck.com, it's going to be in the show notes down at the bottom of the page. But yeah, Terry, if you want to talk a little bit about your book, take it away. Sure. So the, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it was really a book born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who had moved to Colorado near my, where my wife and I live with her fiance. And the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me who was in college on social media. And he said, you know, what do you think are the most important things I should learn to be not just successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life? And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go a little bit deeper with him. So I took some time and I would, was walking around with a pad of paper and pencil and you know, I had these notes, these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So during the three to four months that I was healing after I had my leg amputated, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, well, listen, I, I think we, we got a lot of really good stuff here. Marty, do you have any other questions? Yeah, no. I, well, you know what? I do have one. So I, I can't let you go without asking, uh, how did you become a, an FBI hostage negotiator? Like, what do you have to do? Like, it doesn't see, that seems like it came out of nowhere. So I, I really, I wasn't an FBI negotiator. I was, uh, I was this, I was on the Cincinnati police SWAT team and SWAT is divided up usually on most SWAT teams on the tactical team. Those are the men and women with all the, the toys and the guns and all that kind of stuff and the negotiators. And so Cincinnati had an opening for a negotiator. I put in for it, uh, became a negotiator. I did train with the FBI's hostage negotiation team. We worked with the psychologist. And, 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 you know, basically did scenario based training about, you know, we would do stuff and then we would debrief, you know, did you think about this? Maybe that person had schizophrenia and they were off their meds or what? And, and we would, we would go through all these different scenarios and, you know, those things then, okay, three o'clock in the morning, some guy barricades himself in his house, you know, with a gun and either barricades himself or he's there with a hostage. And we have to, 
to talk him out. And or people would say, you know, you know, great job, you talked that guy out. In all honesty, what we really did was listen the guy out. And about 90% of the time we were successful. About 10% of the time, the people decided that they, you know, weren't going back to prison or whatever it was, and they chose to end their life. But again, you know, I never lost any sleep over that because I worked with great people. I had great training and I knew I did the very best to try to get this thing to be resolved in a peaceful way. So, you know, you do the best you can, but at the end of the day, it's really their decision on how this is going to end. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's a, uh, a challenge that, that is truly a test of, Hey, did I do everything? Because you wouldn't want to go to sleep. You wouldn't want to go to that job. If you, if you had second thoughts about, well, gee, could I have done something that would be very, very difficult. So congratulations. And thank you for that. That's, uh, that's, I'm not sure I'd be willing to sign up for that. You know, there's a lot of nuances that go into it, Matt, you know, when you think about as a police officer, about 99.9% of what you do is face to face with another individual, but as a negotiator, you're not with that person. So you, you know, you have to figure things out based on what people are saying, what they're not saying and how they're saying it. And it, 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 it takes hours, you know, I mean, usually it's a, two, three, four, five, six hour process to get the person out safely. And, you know, you use things like how and what questions and, you know, you engage the person in trying to help you get them out safely, even though they don't realize that that's what you're doing with them. Well, thank you. Incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Terry, truly you're an inspiration and can't thank you enough for joining us today. With that said, everybody, if you really like this episode today and, and, and you, 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 hopefully you're able to take something away, something that could get you some, give you some motivation, give you some knowledge to get your ball rolling, make sure you get on that track to living a healthier, well-balanced lifestyle, then we've done our job. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the channel. If you like this episode, click like, share it with your friends, family, whatever um, you could do to help out. That'd be fantastic. If you want to learn more about Terry and his book, again, we're going to have a link uh, to Amazon for his book in the show notes and some more information for you to to chew on, okay? All right, we'll take care. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.